Hey, Poison Pals. As a courtesy to you, we wanted to give you a quick heads up on today's episode's audio. In Megan's recording, you might hear a lot of airplanes flying overhead because the area where she lives happens to be in the flight path of the San Diego airport. So if you hear planes flying overhead, we deeply apologize. We didn't realize how loud it would be with some windows open while we're recording. As a fun game, we figured, hey, if you hear an airplane fly overhead while the podcast episode is playing, take a drink. Take a shot if you dare. Or if you don't drink at all, take that as a cue to drink some sweet, sweet water because, hey, we all need to hydrate. Anyway, that is your PSA that uh, the audio might just be a little bit noisy. Thanks. Everybody, welcome back with myself, Harini Bot, and myself, Megan Gesner, and we have a special guest with us today. I'd like to introduce the wonderful Philip Cullen. He's my boo thing. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I've ever heard the phrase "boo thing" before. I like it. I'm a fan. <laughs> awesome. I love boo thing. Phil is a wonderful musician, drummer extraordinaire, and wonderful philosopher, economist. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Anything else you'd like to say you as an introduction? You can sum it all up with a nerd. Just a guy who likes to read stuff. <laughs> yeah, he reads a lot. He's the opposite of me. I He makes up for my lack, <laughs> lack of interest in reading. <laughs> so yes, welcome Phil. Thanks you, for having me. Are you excited? I kind of didn't give him any. We'll take good care of you here. Didn't give him any guidance on this one. All right. Good uh, job, Megan. (laughs) (laughs) Sink Uh, or swim, boo thing. (laughs) In usual fashion, I have some things to bring to the table before we get started into our stories. First off, update another update to the Gabby Petito case. They found Brian Lodge's remains. Yes, I think I sent it to you, Megan. The dude's dead. You You didn't. You didn't send it to me. Yeah, he's dead. Wow. Yeah, I did I see that though. Well, I don't know enough about this to speak. I'm I'm just waiting to hear from Harini what in the world's going on. Tell us, Harini. Yeah, they've been searching for him for about a month. He just like dove into the wilderness. Uh, he had some supplies with him is what we are guessing. And he's just trying to evade the police. But then they found him dead. They found human remains that are supposed to match up to his mm-hmm. DNA. So now my head is full of questions. But before we jump into theories and all of that, I found out on TikTok, because that's my main source of information these days, <laughs> but I found out that in their search for both Gabby and Brian, they found nine other bodies who have been missing for many, many what? years. That's yeah. crazy. Which is like good, I guess, because they can be reunited sure. with their respective families. But wow, that's, uh, that's really scary. That is scary. And also... Aside from the Gabby Petito case, I'm like, is what, what is that place called? That nature reserve that they found the remains in? Do you remember? Well, until I okay, the, but that's it's the new Bermuda Triangle for crying out loud. Yeah, yeah, that's what yeah. I was thinking. Wow. Apparently, I was like, there's 
I bet you there's going to be like some sort of true crime story just about that plot of land or nature yeah. reserve. You, you guys may yeah. have your next season of podcasts right there. Like, good <laughs> God, we might. Do they have we any idea? Might. Do they have any idea on the cause of death for any of the remains that were found? I don't think that anything has come out so far, but I'm gonna keep us updated. I'm sure there'll be something out next week. So, so right now, in terms of um, Brian's remains, they haven't released mm-hmm. like what the cause of death was or anything they just there's just remains i think they're just remains i didn't get to look at the full article i'll be honest but i didn't look more into it because i'm assuming they're not going to release all the details it just came out so i'm going to wait a little bit before they get more information but it still begs the question why did like first of all did he kill himself mm. and why mm. um is it just because he didn't he knew that there was no end which is what we were talking about last time like what what is he running from like he's gonna eventually get caught so did he just end his own suffering and just Mm. did it that way but that was my theory when i saw the headline i was just like i feel Mm -hmm. like he's been hiding out in this nature reserve for so long and i'm sure at some point it starts to feel like a helpless situation and i'm sure if he is you know actively evading police he's probably like i can't do this forever (laughs) might as well just end it but that's just my theory yeah what what's the deal with the other nine bodies that were found there though i mean it's if bodies are they're unrelated like nine bodies were found and they were unrelated totally possible Mm -hmm. unrelated i think they're all missing persons cases is my guess that just never like their bodies were just never recovered and now they have it's just odd that you would find nine missing i i mean my first thought was like okay he he could be completely independent of all this, obviously. Um, yeah. But also, I mean, you could have another Green River killer, or you know what I mean. Like there could be an independent murderer yeah. going on, mm-hmm. or this could be the kind of place totally. that facilitates people getting lost and confused, mm-hmm. and then dead mm-hmm. in the, the wilderness due to exposure or something. Yeah. If they totally. are, totally, it could if... be a dumping ground, as yeah. you said. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's most likely. likely. But in the very mm. crazy, oh, rare freaky. circumstance, if they were related, <laughs> that would be insane wow. and would definitely be made into a yeah. TV show. Yeah, or podcast. <laughs> mm-hmm. So the other thing I wanted to talk about is very small, but I did want to tell you during the podcast that we recorded this because I personally was too freaked out to even voice it. But when we were recording the sleep paralysis episode, there were moments where your voice became distorted. And I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> like, I got, like, I was already freaked out. And then your voice was like going demon on me. And I was like, oh, shit. Oh, my God. What's going on? And, and that's when I started to look around the room because I was like, there's something going to come at me right now. And then I swear to God, I heard you, it was either on my end or your end, like, like some weird, like whispering. No, like, I, don't, I don't even know. I what, it wasn't even this. like a whisper. It wasn't <laughs> even like a whisper, but it was just like a, almost like subtle, soft wind, but it was hmm. like audible enough where it's like in a pattern. You know what I mean? I don't know how to explain that, but it was really weird enough for me to be like, uh, I want to end this recording right now. <laughs> oh, I had no idea. You Obviously, you didn't say anything when we were recording. I did not. I did not want to call attention to anything, just in case. Because <laughs> the moment you pointed out, it's real. It's real, yeah. I mean, the only thing I can think of, if it helps <laughs> ease your heart and mind and soul, is maybe it was an airplane passing over. Who knows? 
dude that's what i told myself it's it's either that or it's her her fan on her laptop something like that true true and then i just kept trudging forward with the story oh my gosh did i summon spirits or sleep paralysis spirits into the ether very spooky that is spooky though that's all i have thanks for sharing i'm sorry that you witnessed that Sorry, you summoned a demon. Way to go. Sorry if I conjured something (laughs) up. Megan, you summoned a demon. (laughs) Way to go. A little less demon summoning in the future, huh? (laughs) Uh, Okay. Add that to her list in her resume. Um, (laughs) All right, Megan, are you ready? Types 55 words a minute, summons demons. All right. Doesn't like to read, knows how to summon the Satan. Okay. Yes, let us begin. Special Spooktober episode. So today's topic that I want to focus on, in my opinion, is much more dreary and dreadful rather than spooky. I feel like this topic goes a little bit more along with the first episode of our Spooktober series about being buried alive. And that's because this topic doesn't necessarily deal with the paranormal, though on some levels it might. But today's topic deals with how close we may come to death sometimes and being in scenarios where if one element of this event or scenario changed in the smallest way, you could have been seriously injured or harmed or even died. An example I can think of is poison pills. Imagine you're starting your daily routine and you know you leave your home and you're on your daily commute to work or wherever you might be going typically, and an overpowering urge to pull off the highway and grab a bagel for breakfast comes over you. And this is something that maybe you haven't done in years or have never done before, but suddenly there's this craving that's calling to you, so you pull off the road to go buy a bagel, and you get back on the road, back on your commute, and suddenly there's traffic. And you learn from local radio that maybe just 10 to 15 minutes prior, a horrible pileup has just occurred, like a super bad accident. And you do the math and you realize, wow, if I had continued my commute as I usually do, I could have been in that accident. Why was it in the cards today that for some reason I changed my routine so marginally that I was able to miss this fatal incident? Another example that I feel like I hear often are about people who are about to leave the home and for some reason their pet blocks their exit. Like a cat might be very vocal about their owner leaving the home and it's this is something that's un- uncommon for that cat and it causes the owner to think, hey, maybe I should stay home. Like maybe the cat's trying to tell me something. And lo and behold, they learn that there might have been an accident on the road or there was a violent attack at their work or some chemical spill. Who knows? So today's topic that I want to discuss are near miss and close call incidences. I feel like this topic is true horror or has true elements of horror because it's real It's the concept of like, wow, I brushed shoulders with death, but it just wasn't my time or my day. So for today's episode, we're just going to be sharing our own personal near miss slash close call experiences and maybe some really good near miss close call experiences that we've heard from third parties as well. 
Um, and I think that's a really yeah. fascinating concept because personally, I've had probably, there's one incident in my life that I think about from time to time again, where I question like how close of this was a near miss. Um, and that feeling that comes from recognizing that you might've been a near miss. And I think that's why I wanted to talk about it because I think there's something really interesting about the psychology of knowing that you survived in some way. Um, Mm -hmm. so yeah, the other part that I wanted to discuss with you all besides just near misses is the concept of premonitions. Is that intriguing anybody in the room? (laughs) Okay. Yeah, it does. Totally. But for probably very different reasons than you. Okay. Um, Tell I, me more. I find it very fascinating, but not for the the spookier reasons. But I think more because yes, over a lifetime of experience, we develop uh, the kind of survival instincts and intuitions that we we mm-hmm. frame up in in moments of like, ah, oh, you know, I'm. I met that person and I just got the chills, mm. right? Like I just got a bad vibe, yeah. man. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I peaced out on that conversation. And wouldn't you know, later on, that dude picked a fight with someone. You know, there's like a moment in a bar and it's all stuff on a small scale. But those intuitions don't distinguish how big a scale the problem could be. Mm-hmm. They just know like, dude, yeah. get out. Mm-hmm. And you (laughs) got to trust those moments. Mm -hmm. And they feel like premonitions if they're real Mm -hmm. far in advance. But sometimes your brain, the unconscious part that works stuff out while you're asleep, has been picking up on patterns Mm -hmm. during the day or during the week. Mm -hmm. And it's putting stuff together. And it may come out as a dream or just a bad feeling you wake up with in the morning where you're like, I've got to alter. i got to get those bagels today. (laughs) And that's not the rational appetite you know your brain's not saying we got to avoid a car accident Mm -hmm. but also we kind of don't know all the little variables that our brains are piecing together and i i actually i i have a story that i'll I'll share with you guys later about a a a guy who wrote um about accident air crash investigations right aircraft uh, accidents Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. it actually kept him from boarding an airplane Mm -hmm. um that ultimately everything just went south but uh, I'll, I'll tell you the story wow. right, you know, after we talk about premonitions a little wow, more wow TBD on that <laughs> give us a little little taste, little taste test there yeah sneak peek sneak peek um, but yeah I I wanted to ask Harini you specifically about premonitions okay well actually Phil um, in regards to what you said I actually had the same thoughts thinking about this I was like Megan yourself do you believe in premonitions on a very rational level, I believe more in intuition. And I even went so far as to mm-hmm. look up the definition, the difference in definition between premonition and intuition. Intuition is typically when yeah. you are kind of actually in the moment, you are facing mm-hmm. what potentially could go wrong. So that intuition kicks in. Whereas premonition, traditionally, mm-hmm. it is something that's a little bit more future telling. Um, so you have a point there in terms of uh, how far ahead mm-hmm. is your intuition telling you, you know, something might go sour. But culturally there is one thing in malay culture that i think would count as premonition belief or something but growing up my mom always used to tell us like oh if you have a dream where your teeth fall out or something i don't know if this is like Mm -hmm. specific to malaysia or (laughs) if this is like universal i don't know if this is a western culture thing either i've known about this yeah but like if you have a dream where your teeth fall out that means someone in your family or close to you is gonna die And I will tell you, I've had plenty of dream where my teeth get loose or fall out. 
Oh no comments God. on my dental hygiene. <laughs> um, Phil knows that. Phil, Phil has some thoughts on my dental hygiene practices. But, um... There's no thoughts. <laughs> Just floss more. That's all. Oh, thank you. Um, uh, but I've had those dreams, and no one has ever passed away, you know, immediately after I have that dream. And despite that, I still get really anxious. Anytime I wake up and I know I had a dream where my teeth fall out, I just feel dread for a large majority of the day. So Mm. that's not necessarily a premonition coming true, but that's something that I recognize is in my, like, culture. What about you, Harini? Are there any superstitions or premonition superstitions like that? Yeah. Um, Well, when I think of premonition, I think of it as, like, a vision literally i think of that's a raven like you, you get a vision into the future and then it tells you something that's supposed to happen right but just a comment on the teeth falling out i've heard of that but not that someone's gonna die but that i believe like you're, there's something in your present day life like your conscious life that you're absolutely afraid of mm. like it's either stress or fear mm-hmm. um and you're not confronting it head on Mm. is what I've heard Mm. but um anyways I have two instances one is for my mom I feel like my mom is very intuitive and she has on several occasions had dreams Mm -hmm. about certain things but the one that stands out in my mind the most so my my mom's dad he passed away when she was very young at 13 and then around the time that she was going to get married which is also very young around 21 years old she had some suitors that she was, because this was an arranged marriage, and she was originally supposed to marry this other guy, and she hated him. Mm. She was like, I don't want to marry this person, absolutely not. And she went against, like, her uncle's wishes, who's the one that was setting it up for her, now that she doesn't have a father figure in her life. And she felt really bad about it, because she was like, I just I feel guilty because he's paying for everything, and he's helping our family so much, I feel obligated in a way, but I really can't marry this person Mm. and then the other one was my dad and at night she remembers she was woken up and her dad was standing in front of her clear as day and was telling her do not marry that other man marry she said like my dad's name like marry him he is the right person for you and you'll be live a long happy life with him and then the next day she said her answer and you know the rest is history right thing right She's like, I literally felt like he was there in front of me. Like I forgot in that moment that he was actually had been dead for a long time since then, but he was there clear as day, like talking to me as if, you know, he was just sitting in the room with me. So that's one. Mm -hmm. The second one was with me. This one was a little more freaky. I don't remember this at all. First off, my brother told me this. He said when I was younger, like maybe in middle school or high school, when I was still at home, I woke up in the middle of the night really frightened and I went to my dad. I was like, you need to call our grandfather right away, which is his dad. Call him right away. Something's not right. Like he, I've got had a dream he passed away. You need to call him right now. And my dad really got scared. Like I was freaking him out. So then he called India because that's where my grandfather was. He called India and everything was fine. And he just was like, go back to sleep. Like it was just a bad dream. But then the next week, he got sick and was in the hospital. Mm. I think you've told me that story so, before. Yeah, you've told I me I think I did that. tell you that story, yeah. yeah. But I had no recollection of that until my brother told me years later. He's like, you don't remember waking up in the middle of the night freaking out about this? I was like, no, yeah. I have no memory of that, yeah. which is even weirder to me. Yeah. 
<laughs> no, no, that is that is weird. And I can understand how that's something that I mean, do you feel like that's unexplainable to you? Do you have Absolutely unexplainable. Yeah. Cuz you I, I do feel like I have like intuitive notions mm-hmm. in my head, but nothing like that. Like that was out of character, I would say. And it's yeah. never happened again. So Yeah. Do you mm-hmm. ever try? Yeah, thank God. <laughs> no, I don't course. try. I don't that was like not something I, I wish on anybody. Yeah. But I think that would freak that freaks the person out and obviously everyone else around them. Yeah. What about you? Not dream wise. I did have and this is I don't even know how to explain it except that like this was in high school. I was a senior in high school and I had the overwhelming sense that I had to go to the high school and at like nine o'clock at night. I'm like, why do I have this feeling like I have to go to the high school at nine o'clock at night? And so I, oh, what the hell? This is just too weird and too intense of a feeling. So I ran downstairs, mm. jumped in my truck, drove 10, 15 minutes down to my high school. And, no way. and there was this girl who she was a, a junior in high school, just standing there in the parking lot, like alone. <laughs> And I was like, why is this girl standing here alone in the park? I mean, she's not in, she's not behaving oddly. You know what I mean? She wasn't off in the mm-hmm. bushes somewhere having a, a psychotic episode or a, a problem with drugs or anything. She was just standing there waiting. But there was another car like parked way on the other side of the parking lot that was just dark and there was just no reason for a car to be way over there. And I, I wasn't in my head like, I'm going to go check out what's going on over there because I'm not a vigilante. And I still didn't know what was going on other than some this weird gut-level <laughs> feeling like, dude, go to your high school. Someone's in danger. And I all the dumb things. But I'd feel guilty if I didn't yeah. go and then I read something terrible in the newspaper. Mm. I went to the other end of the parking lot and I just parked. And I'm like, I'm going to make sure this girl gets picked up because she's clearly waiting to be picked up. She's waiting under a street mm-hmm. light at the edge of the curb. Mm. And I waited and her parents came and picked yep. her up. And then as I was pulling away, the other car pulled away. Mm. Now, doesn't mean that oh they were God. up to anything bad. And I didn't even yeah. know this yeah. girl, mm. right? We weren't buddies. Like I just knew yeah. her from school and I didn't know she would be the one, but I had this overwhelming urge, get your butt down to the high school. Someone's in danger. Now that could be that is total so nonsense because mm. maybe she wasn't in danger, mm. but at the same time, like it was still weird and maybe not yeah. inexplicable, but for me, it's just remained unexplained my whole life, but it's the nearest thing I have to that kind of yeah. odd premonition. That's there are crazy. certainly other moments in my life where I wish I'd had a premonition, mm. um, you know, <laughs> to save me from some conflict or or some kind of much Mm -hmm. more immediate peril like people trying to break into my home when I was in it or something like that but Mm -hmm. this is definitely one of those moments where I had a premonition and there was something to it but I think I'll never know what that's wild that's yeah (laughs) I don't know what to say weird right pretty crazy super weird that's weird and I don't mean to diminish the story, kind of cool. but I'm honestly <laughs> kind of uh, satisfied that I got you to to not buy in, but kind of give a story that you feel is unexplainable and uh, entertaining. <laughs> but that, that's just it. I don't. Yeah. I don't feel it's inexplicable. Mm-hmm. I just don't have an explanation for it for now, sure. and I won't ever get one. So I was trying to tease Phil because mm-hmm. Phil does not buy into this premonition stuff <laughs> at all, or ghost stories. Or well, I don't buy into the I don't buy into the otherworldly 
aspect to yeah. it, right? That there yeah. are like yeah. spirits or things that are unexplainable to us outside of natural phenomena. I, I think there's <laughs> enough in our history that seemed at the time to be inexplicable other than by supernatural means that has clearly been explained away, defined away, and understood in a rational context. And this is just one of the things we haven't gotten to yet. And I think it's exciting to think someday we may have an idea, but right now we don't. In short, Phil balances out our our belief system in all these supernatural <laughs> Yeah, it's true. Things. That but true. that's why I wanted him on here because I was like, well, the closest I think I can get him to maybe entertaining the idea is if he's, you know, he has stories about near miss incidences. But uh, yeah, I, that's a really I have yeah. tons incident. of those. Yeah. yeah, but that's, dude, I'd be mm-hmm. freaked out to go down to the school at night and then see someone standing there. Me too. Guy or girl, I would leave. <laughs> well, I didn't do anything. You know what I mean? I didn't do anything heroic. I didn't intervene. I was. <laughs> A young dude, I was like 17 years old, totally deer in the headlights of the situation. Mm-hmm. I, I feel much better as an adult man. There are plenty of situations where I've fully intervened and like something bad is going on here. Mm-hmm. You know, broken up a fight on the street or, you know, a brawl or something like that. I like, think, no, somebody's got to take initiative. I'm the only person here. Do yeah. something. You'll feel worse about yourself if you don't do yeah. something than if you do nothing. Or than if you do something rather... And so the, there's definitely that, but at the time, like I did nothing but just sit there and make sure nothing bad mm. happened. There's yeah. just I was just an observer. But the the thing is, I actually think that was the best and smartest thing for you to do at the time was just mm. to sit and observe, because you never know. Like maybe she would have freaked out if you mm-hmm. walked up to her sure. while she was just waiting for her parents. And, and I that don't was think the best my explanation would have been make helpful. Sure she was okay. mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so check it out, honey. I had this dream and I had to come down and save you. I don't think that would have been a good idea. <laughs> oh, no, that would it's like, oh, another, another creep. Great. I've heard this one before, buddy. I know. The poor girl's standing in the lot being like, there's already one car that's pulled up and watching me. <laughs> like, now there's two cars now there's watching two? me. No. <laughs> that's so true. Go ahead. That, so the reason why I was like really like sucked in mm-hmm. was because what you described was literally a situation that I was in mm. in high school. Oh, wow. And this was one of the near misses I was going to tell you about, uh, Megan. Jeannie, who was one of my best friends in high school, who you met at the wedding. Mm-hmm. So this was like in 2007 or 2008, something like that. So I didn't have a phone. I didn't, I didn't have a phone at the time. I think Jeannie had like a razor flip phone, you know, oh, that yeah. kind of thing, right? <laughs> uh, so I told my parents, and this was near to Halloween. I think it was the weekend before Halloween. It, no, I think we were in high school because we went to go see a football game, Westview versus I don't even know who. Uh, and I told my mom I was going to be at Jeannie's house, but didn't tell her I was going to go watch this football game with her. So we weren't going to be actually at her house. But we had no way to get there. We both didn't have our licenses yet. So we hitched a ride with our friends who were in the game. But then we realized we had no way to get back. And we're like a good 20 miles from our house, uh, from where we live. But we didn't think that through. <laughs> we're like, we don't know how to, we didn't think, okay, how are we going to get our asses back to our house? So we get there and we're just thinking like, okay, the game's over. Someone will take pity on us and take us home with them one of our friends 
And slowly, one by one, all the cars start leaving. Everyone's going. Everyone's like, bye, guys. Bye, guys. Sorry, car's full. Sorry, car's full. Whatever. And at one point, all the cars are gone. It's just me and Jeannie in the parking lot. It's pitch black outside except for the street lamps. And we didn't know what the hell to do. Mm-hmm. Like, I, we don't know who to call. Like, I can't call my mom because she'll be pissed. And all of Jeannie's family, they work at the restaurant all night. So they're not going to be able to come pick us up for a while. So we just have to figure out what the heck to do. So we decided to stand on the street lamp, exactly what that girl was doing, and wait for someone to pick us up. And we called one person who we knew, she was a friend in our class, and we knew that she had a license. So we're like, please, please come pick us up. We have no one else to call. We're so sorry. I know this is last minute, but can you come pick us up? And she was like, absolutely, no worries. I'm going to be there in like 10, 15 minutes, so just hold tight. In that 10, 15 minutes... Just like Phil said, some guy in a truck came up to us in the parking lot and asked us if we need a ride. He's like, come on in, girls. Like, I can take you wherever you need to go. And we both were just like, nope, we're okay. Don't worry about it. And then we went back into the street lamp. And luckily, he left. Mm-hmm. Then, I kid you not, <laughs> this is where we got really freaked out. Mm-hmm. We're standing under the street lamp. And then from across the way, there's no street lamps. It's just dark. We see a guy in a hoodie just walk into the light and then walk back out mm. into the darkness Mm-mm. and he kept doing that over mm. and over again no, and no, i we could no. he was far enough where we couldn't tell if he was looking at us Ugh. like it was too too far away but we just were freaked the fuck out that he was even doing that mm. and i was like genie we got to get the hell out of here like we were counting down the seconds at that point for our friend to come pick us up and luckily, nothing happened. We just sang the campfire song by SpongeBob at the top mm-hmm. of our lungs yep. just to like keep our spirits <laughs> high. Yeah. And then our friend pulled in and we jumped in. I was like, go, 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 go. Yeah. And that was that. That was, Ugh. I don't know if this guy was going to do anything. I don't know what that was, but two near misses, I think, in a span of two hours. Right. I'll never forget yeah. that night. Obviously, I can tell from the story what you're feeling, but describe that feeling like that what happens when you get that kind of intuition, you know? Stressed out, my heart's beating out of my chest. And I just have this strong feeling like I need to be anywhere but here right now. Anywhere mm-hmm. but here. But mm-hmm. there's literally nowhere to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so I think, I just thank God that I wasn't by myself. Not yeah. that I would think that would have helped anything, but at least we had each other. Yeah. The, the numbers are definitely better. Having numbers so, so in a situation like that so much better. Yeah. That is yeah. scary. When you tell that story, I the way you describe that parking lot, because you guys were waiting on parking lot or on the street? Parking oh, lot. Parking lot. It makes me think about um, mm-hmm. my high school's parking lot. And I, I don't know. I feel like when you tell the story, I place you in my high school's parking lot at night. And that <laughs> shit's scary because it's out in the boonies. It's dark as hell. Just, you don't know who's there. coming through that area. Yeah. And schools can be a little bit out of the way just just how they're built like there's not a lot of stuff around it you'd have to walk down a little bit to get to like houses or like a gas station or at least in where we are so we're pretty much by ourselves for the most part wow that intuition of it's a feeling of certainty like you said we gotta get the hell out of here Mm -hmm. i remember um i was traveling uh with my roommate and of course I traveled a bunch and this was his first time out of the country for an extended period. And I remember when I convinced him to come to South America with me, I was like, bro, I've traveled all over. Nothing ever happens, (laughs) which should have been the first indicator that, yeah, trouble will ensue. And we'd 
only been off of the plane in Ecuador. We were in the capital, and Quito's comparatively safe, you know, compared to other parts of Ecuador. Mm -hmm. But we'd only been off the plane a few hours before we were in a, a just a terrible, terrible situation. And it's it's all of these because we're talking about close calls, typically because I've I've actually done a fair bit of reading on survival situations just because I used to go backpacking and doing that kind of outdoorsy mm -hmm. stuff. So you you read the the reports of you know from snow patrol or ski patrol rather where they had to rescue someone. All those reports are printed annually. How many people died and under what circumstances? Oh, okay. And it's just a way to know like, hey, this is what the last couple of years outdoors activities have the, the situations that have caused fatalities, what to avoid. <laughs> and so I've just always been curious about it. And so there was a guy who wrote a book about survival and he said, yeah, almost every survival situation or close call is the confluence of two to three to four seemingly independent things that just go wrong. And at a certain point, the, y y your options are limited. And it's when you have limited options that that you get in real trouble. Mm -hmm. Like you said, you felt like, I don't know what it would have done. Where were we going to escape to? We're in this school where we're al yeah. kind of alone and removed. Well, that's a variable that's awful because it attracts the yeah. kind of wrong people who would be like, hey, where are some little girls right now that are alone mm -hmm. and don't have an easy egress, right? An easy way out. Well, it's true. It's the way it works. Yeah. And so me and my buddy Jared accidentally ended up in a situation not unlike yours, where we were reading our, you know, let's go travel book in another country before the internet was easily accessible <laughs> on your phone. And you had to bring maps. And of course, mm -hmm. if you're, a, you know, I'm a six foot four American guy walking around, clearly in Ecuador, I'm a tourist, right? Because I've got my book and all this stuff. <laughs> And we hung a right trying to find a pizza shop and this sidewalk started to veer away from the road. And within about, yeah. I don't know, a hundred yards walking down this sidewalk, it wasn't a sidewalk anymore. It was almost more like an alley. Now, I've never experienced a, a walkway mm -hmm. like that in America, which mm -hmm. led me to not see all the problems I was walking into. And I remember walking by human feces on the wall. Mm -hmm. And I thought, oh, this is homeless people have defecated here. Oh, you don't do that in a place where foot traffic's expected. This is this is not yeah. good. Mm -hmm. And there's walls on both sides of us now, and there's no way in or out except you know to go ahead. And then, of course, right then, as I'm putting this together, I see two dudes coming the opposite direction. I'm like, all right, hopefully they're just a couple dudes out for pizza like us. But what are the chances? <laughs> and when they were about ten yards away, so like you know, you're looking at five, six, seven mm -hmm. footsteps away, they veered across the sidewalk towards us. And I was like, okay, here we go. And I knew that this was going to be bad because I was born in a rough neighborhood. And I, I know mm -hmm. what it looks like when someone's about to ask you, what time is it? Or do you have a dollar? Oh God. That's not what they're really asking for. They're trying to get your attention and <laughs> get an interaction so that they can take it to the next step, which is to mug you or worse. Sure enough, he grabs me by the chest and says, do you have one dollar? And I'm like, nobody grabs someone by the chest for one dollar. You're trying to mug me, asshole. <laughs> like, I get it. I know what you want. Here's 20 bucks. And I made sure to put $20 in my wallet. And I opened it up mm -hmm. to him. He took it. Now, I had cash all over the rest of my body. But you got to make it easy for someone in that sure. situation because they're scared too. 
my buddy didn't get it. Mm-hmm. My roommate's like, uh, the other guy's like grabbing him and shaking him. And he's like, I think he's trying to grab my iPhone. I'm like, give it to him. He goes, I'm not giving him my iPhone. <laughs> he thinks they're still just asking us for a dollar. And I'm like, bro, let go of the iPhone. Yeah, yeah. He also doesn't speak Spanish. So a couple seconds later, the guys have wrestled him to the ground on the sidewalk. One guy is holding him down. He's still not giving up the phone. And of course, this is happening over seconds. It's very fast. But I I, I understood enough Spanish to know that when the other guy said, Dame la pistola, matalo, matalo, he had just said, hey, give me the gun, shoot this guy, shoot this guy. And I'm like, buddy, they're going to kill you and me. Let go of the phone. And so he did. I kicked him, took his phone, and, and walked away. I helped him up, and I was like, bro, what was up? And he's like, I just didn't understand what was happening. And that's not his fault. Yeah. He wasn't, he didn't grow up in no. a neighborhood where that kind of thing happened. So he had no intuition. He had no way to calibrate to the situation. But I knew as soon as I saw those dudes in that context, and then they all of a sudden walked towards me, it's like, no, mm-hmm. we're about to get rolled. <sighs> and make it easy. Uh, so it's terrifying. Let's get out of this okay. And of mm-hmm. course, yeah, it was... It, we were shaken for like days because mm. what a way to start a trip. It's, it's just a trip right and it shakes you for days and like hey i'm a grown man like mm. i feel competent in most cases like that but you're not you still you're not ready to have that moment and to no, hear someone never. say just give me the mm-hmm. gun shoot this guy shoot this guy oh it, it, so it runs a chill through you for sure but at the same time, you'll never forget it and you'll never not be calibrated to that moment again. And That's so there's exactly some right. real utility to it where it's like, okay, trust <laughs> your instincts. When you see human poop on the wall, <laughs> dude, that doesn't happen in areas where there isn't crime, right? Like, I mean, it could, but the likelihood, no, pay attention, man. 180 and that's GTFO. <laughs> yeah, that's I've heard that story before, but yeah, that's crazy. Human feces thing. <laughs> when I'm uncomfortable, I laugh, but in my head, Harini, I went, I went spooky dookie. <laughs> <laughs> We've been saying this the past couple podcasts where we're talking about spooky dookie stories, and I'm like, this is literally spooky dookie. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> spooky dookie on the walls. I do think that's the 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 practical end of these kind of conversations like because i think lots of people have had close calls but the benefit comes Mm in not when you mistakenly assume like oh nothing happened so it was okay but more when like you you get with your friends and you have that what would have been 200 years ago a campfire conversation Mm -hmm. and you trade Mm -hmm. stories and you go oh my god Mm -hmm. there was an indicator in that that now i don't have to get mugged to know that if i get into an area that gets suddenly isolated and then I see a couple other indicators. It's like, oh, no, 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 no. Get out. Get out now. Trust yep. that instinct. It's going to scream loud in your ears. Don't don't be skeptical of yourself. Be skeptical of other people. Yeah. <laughs> but when your own Absolutely. intuition is saying that, trust it. Totally. Mm-hmm. So I've got two for myself. One's the shorter one. One's the longer one. And then I do want to um, honor some of my friends who actually, well, when I say friends, shout out to Ben, Manira, and Drew of Power Four. <laughs> yes. um, but they actually submitted some personal stories of their that actually involved me that I didn't oh, remember awesome. at all. So I was like, mm. oh, that's really interesting that I forgot cool. this moment. So I want to go back to the premonition thing. I don't see this situation as a premonition, but is that but it is that feeling of like that overpowering intuition of uncertainty. You had mentioned that before. It's that over 
overpowering certainty that something's going to happen. And lo and behold, in this situation, it does happen. This has to do with the car accident that I was in. But um, I think in 2015, I was still putting around in my red Toyota Corolla. I don't know if you remember that car, Harini, at all. This is when we were in college. I don't remember being in a car accident to begin with. Anyways, so I was with an ex from college, and we were just doing, like, a daytime cruise through uh, Pacific Beach to La Jolla just to, like, look at houses for fun, Uh um, driving up in the hills. And I remember we're just cruising, cruising. Everything's good, having a good time. And the thing about these roads is that sometimes there are some kind of semi-blind curves um, in the neighborhoods because it's all residential. You're off like the main highway. It's a Mm -hmm. residential, just a nice area to like cruise around. So we are driving and then I come around a curve and I immediately recognize it's a blind curve because when I come around the corner, there is a car. I don't know what, I'm really bad with distance. What's a hundred feet, like less than a hundred feet from me that has stopped and is taking a left turn it's like an unprotected Mm. left turn only intersection but it's Mm -hmm. there's no lights or stop sign it's like because it's residential if you it's like if you know the area you know there's a turn there so you probably know to go slow around that corner yeah yeah. so we come around and Mm -hmm. i screech on my brakes and i don't hit this person because i'm like i'm quick enough to react and i'm like okay they're they're waiting for oncoming traffic to pass so they can left turn but Right after I literally, like, like, we stopped. This is seconds, like, 10 seconds. I immediately think in my head, we're going to get hit. And then I look mm. up in the rearview mirror, and sure enough, mm. there's a service truck that rounds the corner really fast, rear ends us. And even before, it's, it's like slow motion. This is when it turns into slow motion for me once I have that realization. Because mm-hmm. I say it in my brain, I think, I'm like, we're going to get hit. Like, everything processes really fast. I almost hit this car in front of me, which means guaranteed someone's going to come behind me and hit me. And I see the service truck and I, I say, we're going to get hit. And I brace his leg. And then we we get hit by the service truck and we get smashed into the tr- car that's been trying to turn in front of us. So we were sandwiched. Yeah. The car was yeah. completely totaled. But it was that feeling of just undeniable certainty. I'm like, this is going to happen. That car's not going to stop. Whoever's behind yeah. us will not stop. Yeah. Um, so I think about that incident. Yeah. You don't remember this at all? <laughs> I didn't. I felt, oh my, I'm such a bad friend. No, I did no, not know your car got total. I didn't know you were in an accident. Yeah. Maybe I didn't talk about it, to be wow. honest. Um, yeah. But wow. yeah. Okay, that's scary. Yeah. So that's an instant uh, moment that I went through later on in life. Um, mm-hmm. The other scenario, which I truly think was a near miss, because obviously the car accident was a near miss. It happened. But um, when I was in high school, I used to volunteer for a hospital called Marshall Medical Center up in Placerville, California. And if you know anything about this area, it is pretty rural. Um, it's it's a uh, what, maybe 45 to 50 minutes west of Lake Tahoe. So as you get closer and closer to that area, think cabins. Harini, you would love this area. Like mm-hmm. it's cabins. Yeah. Um, your neighbors are yards away from you, sort of thing. Um, you know, I would long... say your neighbors are squirrels and <laughs> your neighbors wildlife. are bears. <laughs> like black bears are in that area, you know. Or bears. Yeah. <laughs> it's all forest, lots of pines, dense forest, all that. But there's a small it's... little town called yeah. Placerville, which is like a a historical gold mining town where some of the first gold miners came to settle. So that's the history there. But I used to volunteer mm-hmm. at the small hospital there um i think this was towards the end of my high school 
um, you know, I was probably my senior, maybe junior year. I think it was my junior year. And my volunteer activity was uh, doing filing for the medical records department. And that's in like the basement of the hospital. I had been doing this for a while. And one day I was there doing my service, filing medical records. And it was just me and one other guy. And the guy was an employee. He wasn't a volunteer. I'm pretty sure he was like staff. Mm-hmm. I never knew yeah. the staff's name. I just showed up and I'm like, I'm clearly a high school kid just helping you with your busy work. So, we, you know, I never got like yeah. familiar with staff members, but I was like, oh, there's this guy here. So he's probably just the adult supervision. And then mm-hmm. while I'm working, he finds me like, as I'm filing and he's like, hey, I have to get a file off campus, off site. I can't leave you here alone. So you have to come with me. And I don't know better. I'm like, okay, like offsite might mean across the street. Like, that's fine. Like, so, you know, la-di-da, I exit the, the, the basement. We walk through the hospital, but then we're suddenly in the parking lot. And I recognize, oh, we're walking toward, towards his car. I feel that something is weird about this. So this is when like things start kind of like intuition might be kicking in. I feel like this is weird, but I'm not mm-hmm. totally certain. Cause like, I don't know how these things work. Mm-hmm. So we enter his car and we get in his car. We pull off the parking lot and we start to go towards the highway and we enter the highway. And at this point I'm like, we are really driving far <laughs> from the hospital. We're getting far. That's so scary. And then we exit and we exit literally onto a dirt road. Um, not uncommon for the area. It's just a dirt road in the middle of the woods. And we Mm -hmm. pull up to what looks like an abandoned warehouse. At the point that we enter the dirt road, I am thinking about all my exit options. I'm making observances. You know, I'm taking note of what he looks like, what he's wearing, taking note of Mm -hmm. how he has um, like a picture of his family on his keychain. I'm taking note of, okay, what's the door lock mechanism like? Do I jump out right now? Mm -hmm. Because I feel like something is, Mm -hmm. this is not right. I should not be in the situation. And to add to that, Harini, as you know, my mother loves foreign films. Mm-hmm. When I was younger, she had played this fantastic French film called The Vanishing. I think it was made in 1988 or something like that. But it's pretty much this concept of, you know, a young woman gets abducted and then the boyfriend tries to, like, figure out what happened to her and all that. But how it's done is, like, she, yeah. she gets picked up by someone who seems pretty innocuous and then she gets killed somehow and buried alive and I, for some reason the vanishing went through my head uh, because it, it shows the scene where like she gets in his car and in my head I'm like I got in this guy's car and we're going to a dirt area and I'm gonna be buried <laughs> alive so that's going through my head yeah so we we pull up on this dirt road and to be honest I felt like he was nervous too the energy in the car was tense and so many thoughts went through mm. my head of like either this is what went through my head I was like either he knows that this is a weird situation and he doesn't mean to bring me harm, but he knows that he made a mistake of even bringing me along and he knows I'm uncomfortable, right? Like I kind of felt that energy. That could have been what I was feeling. The other option was, I was like, or this is really, I'm going to die or like something bad's going to happen. Or the third option is this is him, me as a test subject. And maybe he will do this Mm -hmm. again another time. Those are the three things that went Mm -hmm. through my head. Get to the warehouse, Mm -hmm no one else is around we both get out and i'm like wow like i'm out of the car and i'm walking to the warehouse with him what are you doing like you know i'm 
Well, how old was I? Yeah. 16 in my junior year? Yeah, I was like walking to the warehouse with him. Um, he gets the keys, opens the warehouse, and in the warehouse are a bunch of medical records. Just stacks and stacks of medical records. He gets what he needs. He's quick about it. We go back into the car. We drive back to campus, the medical campus, and, um, you know, nothing ultimately happens to me. But oh at the God. end of the day, driving home, because I could drive now, like I, I drove myself to and from, yeah. um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, volunteering. Driving home, I couldn't help but think that that third option of him doing this as a test run was like the strongest possibility. There was something in my mind that I just felt this feels like he was just trying to see how this could work out. The next time I volunteered, well, before I even went to volunteer again, we actually had our junior volunteer like meeting with all the other volunteers and our Mm -hmm. main supervisor. And I ended up actually telling her, I was like, listen, this happened. I don't know, you know, ultimately what the intention was, but I just want you to know that I, that this happened. And she straight up was like, no one is ever supposed to drive you off of this lot or off of away from the medical center. And maybe he made a mistake, but that should not be the case. And so that to me, I feel like was my near miss in my life. Yeah. Yeah, that's a wow. that's a scary that one, all right. Nuts. Almost, I think. That is scary. Almost every serial killer that's ever been profiled has, as part of his uh, acceleration from uh, acceleration, it's not the right word, but going from not having murdered and committed serial murders to being an active serial murderer, there were test cases. Mm-hmm. And you're you're right to have. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that's what this was. It could be just a socially awkward guy where everything else was genuinely true, and his social awkwardness made you feel uneasy, which would also be completely valid. But yeah, yeah, not worth the risk. Forget that. Definitely yeah. not. That yeah. is that's scary. The question I had that was going through my mind was: Did you guys talk on the way there or back, or was it just like quiet? I think that there might have been some small talk. But it was, like, pretty sparse. I know that as we got further, I got more quiet, and so did he. And uh, uh, definitely we weren't talking yeah. once we got to the dirt road. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's actually something that uh, a long time ago I did a fair bit of Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And my teacher's nephew and his wife put together a, a program called Women Empowered. And it's a Brazilian jiu-jitsu mm-hmm. program that's specifically designed to the defensive needs of women. And a huge mm-hmm. part of it is not just like, okay, what to do if you're tackled or, you know what I mean, fighting on the ground or fighting standing up for your to, to break away and get away. But also, mm-hmm. what what are the signs that a situation is getting bad? What does it look like when you're with a group of people and someone has bad intentions, like, well, how do they behave socially? What kind of conversations do they have? What do they do to isolate you from the group? Mm-hmm. And how do they test the mm-hmm. waters to see if you are the kind of person they can isolate from the group? And the number one takeaway is, hey, no matter what, no matter where you are, location number one is safer than location number two. Never, even if someone has a gun to your head, don't get in the car because location number two yeah. is always worse than the location that you're at now mm-hmm. or they wouldn't be taking Absolutely. you away. So no matter what, <laughs> it's a great lesson to be like, oh, that feeling. Yeah. Hone that feeling so that it keeps you from ever even getting in the car with someone like that. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Absolutely. So just a couple more quick ones, and then I'll turn it over to Phil um, for him to round out the session. But I wanted to share Ben, uh, another shout out to Ben. We gave a shout out to him last episode, but um, he recalled some very interesting near misses that, like I said, apparently we're all part of, but I forgot. Okay. So he writes me on Instagram. He goes, you guys remember the time in 2015 when we went to Guerneville for 4th of July, right? So this is um, kind of a northern west coast uh, Bay Area. He goes, on the ride there, I was driving all four of us in Mom Civic. Since I figured we'd hit traffic at some point no matter what, I was casually following a truck towing a large RV trailer since it was going about 60 in the right lane. So we were just like tailing behind this truck because there mm-hmm. it was going to be slow traffic anyway. And he continues, he goes, Megan or Manira politely asked, in parentheses, very politely, would you mind if we pass this truck? So I obliged and I passed the trailer. And then... Continues, about 30 seconds later, I saw the trailer suddenly move and a bit of debris go through the air. One of the tires on the trailer had blown out, not gone flat, actually blown out. We probably would have been fine, but it would have been a close call. Apparently it was Manira. Manira is the one who had asked that. I would argue that as like maybe strong intuition of like, in general, I don't like to follow behind trucks because of the possibility of things like that happening. But when I first read that, I was like, Manira had a premonition. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then um, here's another one. I think this is, yeah, this is, again, from Ben. He goes, also, back in 2009, kind of guessing the date, one of the summers that you two, myself and Manira, um, went to Malaysia for like a month, I had a very mundane dream that you guys came back from Malaysia and we bumped into each other at the fencing club. The next day, you guys were back coincidentally. Not as profound, but still a little odd. So in my mm. mind, I'm like, Ben had a premonition cool. about us. <laughs> yeah. So he That's had a couple. That's super cool. Yeah. Yeah, it's really interesting. Oh, there's one more. This is involving maybe all four of us again, Drew, Ben, myself, and Manira. But we were actually hanging out near Drew's house. And near Drew's house, there was this road that ended in a cul-de-sac with no houses around it it just it went up a hill Mm -hmm. and then there's a cul-de-sac and you could like lay down in the cul-de-sac and look at the stars there's no lights or anything except for like the highway the highway nearby with some light pollution but we're Mm -hmm. we're away from the highway we're like in a residential area chilling in this cul-de-sac at night lying down in the cul-de-sac um and just hanging out and this one i actually remember but what happened was we were lying in the cul-de-sac and just talking and talking and talking. And then one of us popped up. I can't remember if it was Drew or Manira. One of us popped up and suddenly was like, there's a car. And literally seconds after that was said, a car with like light blasting drove up and we pretty much almost got hit. Like if someone didn't pop up on time, we could have been had our legs crushed. But Mm. what is weird about the situation is it would have been easy to see the light pollution from a car coming up the hill, but we did not see any of that. Like it wasn't until a few seconds after the word there's a car coming popped up that the car was there. Mm -hmm. So that's another near miss that Mm. we shared. (laughs) So thank you, Ben and Manira for submitting those. I think we're going to turn it over to Phil now. Oh, or, sure. Yeah, yeah I, like I said, I didn't have any real kind of premonitions except for the the one. But the rest were just close calls where I thought, damn, if I hadn't, just like in the, the situation you described, where if you hadn't, 
parked up or moved just when you did mm-hmm. or reacted just so, something could have gone from like a level two, oh, that was close, to a level 10. Man, now we're dealing with real problems and yeah. real chaos. The the first one, um, I, I was born in, in San Bernardino right across uh, the second house that we lived in. The first house we were li- lived in was a little bit more ghetto-y than we got to a nicer neighborhood, except that it was right across the street from Patton State Mental Hospital for the criminally insane. Oh, wonderful. Like, I, yeah, very wonderful, right? And so you think like to yourself, like when you buy a house like that, hey, we must be totally safe because look at the walls around this joint. <laughs> and, and, you know, George Carlin used to joke about the not in my backyard syndrome that people had about building new prisons, right? Mm-hmm. That what are the, you know, the, what are they going to do if they break out, hang around? Well, it turns out, yeah, <laughs> they're going to break into the house across the street. So, oh, yeah. Literally, like me and uh, two of my brothers and my dad were playing darts in the garage. And all of a sudden, in the middle of a dart game, I was five years old at the time, this dude sticks his head in from the side yard in a prison uniform, right? And he looks, and to his, I mean, this is the worst luck the dude could have ever had. Actually, I suspect that he saw my mom and and my sister in the kitchen window and mm. thought, oh, it's a house with a couple of chicks in it. I can get in here, get a change of yeah. clothes, get money, whatever craziness was going through his head. So he thought, mm-hmm. well, I'll go through the garage. And he didn't know that that's where all the boys were hanging out. And my dad... Um, I'm tall. I'm 6'4". My dad was 6'2", but he was also 270 pounds and the lieutenant in charge of the SWAT team. This dude came nose to nose with the wrong dude. And then my two older brothers were there and they're huge too, two truck drivers. And this guy just looked at the three of them and he goes, oh, fuck. (laughs) And he shuts the door. And I just remember thinking, holy mackerel, this is unbelievable. The next thing he would have heard was my dad say, Terry, get the gun. And then he's after oh this guy with God. the uh, with the police light. The guy jumped over our fence and into the backyard of my uh, buddy from uh, uh, preschool, Frankie. <laughs> jumps through their kitchen window to get away from my dad and my brothers. And thankfully, they were away for the night. Right? So there, there was all the lights oh were off. He jumped in there. By this time, my mom had called down to the station. And the, everyone on the police mm-hmm. department knew where mm-hmm. we lived. So it was like, yo, get to our neighborhood. And literally two minutes later, the dude was apprehended again and he was right back inside. But it was one of those scary moments as a five-year-old where you go, holy crap, things like this can happen. Like, it seems like that's something for a TV and the movies, but Mm. sure enough. Mm -hmm. And this has happened to me three different times where someone's tried to break into a home while I was in it, right? Now, that just seems impossible. But... Yeah, that's and so scary. So in that crummy neighborhood, you go, oh, okay, like that's explainable. <laughs> the next time it happened to me, I was in Orange County. Now, Orange County is like, mm. with the exception of Santa Ana and some rough parts of maybe Garden Grove, it's mostly suburban, like chill neighborhoods. Um, mm-hmm. It was a Sunday night. I was just hanging out with my buddy, Jeremy. We finished our conversation about 830 at night. It's time to go in and like get ready for school the next day. Uh, senior year of high school. So I head back up to my condo on the second floor, say goodbye to him. This is 1994, so it's pre-cell phone. Pre- you can't text or call your buddy. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I go inside, shut the door, go to my room, which is around the corner from the, the, the front door. And I hear the thumping of someone running up my stairs to the, the second floor landing okay. where our entryway is. And I'm like, oh, Jeremy probably forgot to tell me something, right? It's free cell phone and texting. He can't just text or call. He's got to run back over to me. And so I'm like, all right, cool. So I, I like run around over to you know the front door because I'm like going to be like, oh, yo, what's up? But when I get to where the front door is, I'm like, why hasn't he knocked? Mm. Was he just... Mm. And I'm like, Mom, did you hear that? And she's like, yeah, did Jeremy come back upstairs? And I'm like, well, I guess. Well, what is he doing? Standing on the balcony? Was well, he just staring at the door? What is mm. going on? I hear oh my, my screen door open real slow. So it's that slow creak of a screen door. Mm. And I'm like, Mm-mm. what? <laughs> and then I look down at the doorknob to, to my entry door. And it slowly starts turning. Oh, and I'm like, oh, that's not Jeremy. Now, at this time, it's just my mom. My my father had long since passed away, and my brothers and sisters had all moved out and gotten married. So it's just mm-hmm. me and my mom. And the only feeling I had was, oh, hell no. No one's getting in here. Yeah. And so I, I mm-hmm. ran to the door, and I ripped it out of this guy's hand. And I was just big enough and maybe angry enough that he fell over backwards in fear and slammed the screen in my face got up and ran down the, or back down the stairs. Mm. I, wow. I'm not trying to chase that fool, right? So I slammed the door and no. locked it. I'm like, we need to call the police. But I didn't have to call mm-hmm. the police because I ran to the window and looked out to see if I could get a look at him. And two seconds later, mm-hmm. the sheriff's helicopter searchlight mm. went right through the wow. courtyard and followed him. So he was someone apparently trying to evade the, oh the sheriff's God. And he, wow. he saw oh me God, downstairs. He's like, I'll follow that kid in his house. And, Mm-mm. you know, whether it would have turned into a hostage situation or maybe he was, yeah. I don't know his situation, but it certainly wasn't mm-hmm. going to be better than innocuous. You know what I mean? It was good. This was going right. to be bad. The The next time something like that happened, <laughs> <laughs> I was living in Oceanside, which again is a bad neighborhood. Oh, no. Uh, so back back into the ghetto. <laughs> and uh, it's, it's one in the morning. And at this point, I've got this just wonderful uh, red-nosed pit bull named Bailey. She is just oh. a peach of a dog. She's the sweetest, you know, like, if you know pit bulls, when they look sweet, it's just they're so gooey-eyed and cute. Oh. It's, it's just the most yeah. sweetest thing ever. Um, but at 1, one thirty a.m., I hear this growl. And, you know, like, mm-hmm. you're, you know your dog's growls, but all you ever yeah. hear is their, hey, I'm, I want to play growl. Or, hey, I'm mad at that dog or that passerby. Mm -hmm. This was a different growl. And her hair was standing up Mm. on the back of her neck all the way down her spine. Like, I've never seen that in one of my dogs before. And I'm like, what Mm -hmm. is up? And she is, like, she wants to eat the bedroom door to get through it. And I'm like, okay, let's check it out. Now I'm curious. I really was the wrong response. I should have just called the cops. But anyway. (laughs) I open the door, and she runs across uh, from my bedroom to the living room where the window is to the the side yard in the alley. And she is, like, trying to eat her way through the blinds. And so I'm like, oh, shit, something's going on. And then I hear my window being jiggled. Hmm. And so I run over there, and I pull the cord up on the blinds. And so the blinds shoot up, and now she is just barking, and her teeth are, like, clipping against the glass. Like, she would bite this dude's face if she could, if the glass wasn't in the way. 
And I just, I looked at this dude and he's looking at me in horror because this dog is like hungry for him. Yeah. And I, <laughs> this is terrible, but I leaned down to his level on the window and I said, you have fucked up. And I leaned over because the front door was like three feet away. And I just flipped the latch yeah. on the door and I let my dog out into the yard. Oh, my God. <laughs> so it was great. He, he jumped the, the, the fence on my side yard <laughs> just in time to get his ass out of the way of her teeth. Holy and shit. I ran around to the, the fence and Bailey and I just looked over the fence at him. And I watched him run all the way down the, the, the side alley by my house across that street into the next alley, all the way down that alley, oh across Lord. the next street, and down the next alley. That fool ran three blocks, wow. never looked back, and never stopped <laughs> running. <laughs> oh my god. So, the only other close call that I have wasn't at my house, but it did involve an intruder. I was at an ex-girlfriend's house, staying over, and her buddy Brandon was supposed to come down for the, the week from LA. Uh, his former roommate, really cool dude but I hadn't met him yet. And so he was running late and we were all supposed to hang out and watch a movie together, but ah, you know, things happen when you're coming down from LA on the weekend. We all know the traffic is crazy mm -hmm. between San Diego and LA. Um, she's like, ah, he's not gonna get here for hours. Like, we'll just we'll just leave the, the front door unlocked and he can just let himself in and crash uh -uh. on the couch. Yeah, we all, at, at, at story number four, you know, uh-uh is the right response. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so we go to bed and I, but I've never met him. I've never even seen a picture. So right, maybe right. an hour or two later, like I wake up to a dude standing in the bedroom by the nightstand. What the hell? And I, I'm like so asleep. asleep. Yeah. I just, I looked at this dude and I was like, oh, hey, bro, I'm Phil. And he's like, hey. And, and then I just fucking went back to sleep. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I wake up the next morning and, and Brittany and Brandon are out in the, the living room, like talking and laughing and stuff. So I'm like, oh, cool. Like, I'm going to go out and say, hey to this dude. What's up? And I walk out and I was like, hey, honey, who's this? And she goes, well, this is Brandon. And I was like, Oh, Lord. Brandon's like, nice, handsome black dude. The dude standing at our oh, bedside last night was a scraggly white dude. And I'm like, oh my God. do you know that there was another human being in this house? <laughs> Did you have anyone else that was supposed to stop by for any reason? She's like, no. And I'm like, uh, there was a dude in here last night. <laughs> I'm no. not making that up. That was not a hallucination. Holy shit. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> It's just weird, right? That is terrifying. Very lucky nothing These happened. Experiences. But I am a door locking freak, you know, because of stuff like that. I'm, exactly. Hermione, after this, you're going to be like, I'm going to lock my door and also put a chair by the <laughs> on the doorknob. Dude. And also. I'll do whatever. Yeah. A lot of B&Es in your life or close to. No. Close to, yeah. Yeah. But I mean, that's. Yeah. This is yeah. why, not to get political, but this is why I'm, I'm a big advocate for firearms, for self-defense. The little old lady that lives next to my parents was kidnapped and murdered for money. It's like oh it's God. the only equalizer Jeez. for a little old lady. Like, she's not, she not 6'4". Like, mm -hmm. I was lucky to scare some of those dudes off. And then one, I 
you know, I had a big toothy yeah. dog. But for yeah. a lot of people, they don't have that kind of option. Like mm. it's, mm-hmm. it is scary, mm-hmm. but like the realistic appraisal of those situations is like, hey, have good door locks, have good, you know, habits around your house and be mm-hmm. aware, like stuff can Absolutely. get weird in a, in a heartbeat. And once those couple variables yeah. take in the wrong direction, yeah, you're in a you're in a new world, mm-hmm. <laughs> and and you, you kind of have to. It's like you said, like you had that moment where you were certain, like we just have to get out. Mm-hmm. But if it's in your home, you have mm-hmm. nowhere to get out to. So the only thing to do is to prevent exactly. that problem in the first place, and then ultimately, if that problem gets to you, you got to have a big dog or, you know, a shotgun, <laughs> something like that. Yeah, you can never be too safe. I mean, I'm literally thinking just today, because uh, mostly I work from home by myself, because uh, my mom goes into work, and Dave has been going to work recently, and today he was going to work from home, I thought, but mm-hmm. then the way where my like home office is, I can see the driveway, so he was pulling out at like 11.30 a.m., so I call him like, where are you going? <laughs> and he's like, I'm going to go into work. And I'm like, okay. And then I thought in my mind, like, cause I knew he was working outside on the patio in our backyard, just doing some emails or whatever. And I'm like, he probably closed that sliding glass door and locked it. I'm mm-hmm. sure he did. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to go down and check. Cause I have a ton of meetings. I'm not going to have time to like go down right now. And then when I finally like hours after that i come down to make some lunch it's wide open mm. wow. and i texted him and i was like don't ever do that don't ever do that someone could have literally come here in here and killed me mm-hmm. <laughs> like for real yeah and you want to f- believe that you're safe in your own home and you know i know my mom when she's by herself all the time like she will open the sliding glass door because it's hot in mm-hmm. san diego and you just mm-hmm. want a nice breeze from your own backyard i get it but if you're upstairs you're not within that Mm-hmm. Yeah. immediate vicinity or something could happen and you can immediately like react mm-hmm. just shut it it's not worth it yeah mm. yeah and and not worth it's right because you i mean all of this comes down to these little kind of intuition level probabilistic calculations that we make ah uh, what mm-hmm. is the chance mm-hmm. right and sometimes right it's based on the wrong idea like well what is the likelihood that it would happen to my house well, it's not what is the likelihood yeah. it would happen to your house because those people case every house that they can walk by. And yeah. if yours is mm-hmm. the one that's available because of the windows open, the doors open, well, right. then it's now right. the chance is real likely that it's your house because you made it easy. Exactly. Don't make it easy for them. Yeah. <laughs> Going to that last story that I mentioned at the beginning? Yeah, yeah. This one comes from uh, Lawrence Gonzalez. He's the the writer. He wrote that book, uh, Deep Survival. He wrote. Uh, uh, he, he's written some, you know, aircraft accident, uh, you know, histories or you know what happened during it or you know investigation type books. And so that was his whole career while he was writing for Playboy magazine mm-hmm. back in the seventies. Um, so. Nice. Yeah, I, it's it's odd to think of from our standpoint, but like Playboy magazine used to do like really good interviews mm-hmm. with like high profile people, and they actually used mm, I to bet. have <laughs> they used to have some actual journalism going on. There. Um, so mm-hmm. for writing for Playboy magazine, doing the research on airline crashes and studying the flaws in one particularly notorious model, the DC-10, he said it was a jumbo a jumbo jet 
that suffered more catastrophic in-flight failures than any other modern jet airliner. Mm. Um, so mm. Lawrence being the author, uh, Shell Wax, who was the managing editor, and his wife Judy, um, she was about to promote her, the release of her first book. The fiction editor, Vicki uh, Jan Hader, Jan Hader, excuse me, and as well as uh, Mary Sheridan, who was the foreign rights editor, they were all traveling to the American Booksellers Convention in Los Angeles. Hmm. But when Lawrence found out that they were going to be traveling on a DC-10, uh, he, he told Shell Wax, he's like, hey man, I, 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 I thought better of this. I'm, I'm not going to go on a flight with you guys. You know, the Shell laughed and he said, you know, Lawrence, you've been reading too much. And he, he said he was right. I had been reading too much. Um, you know, he, although he'd been flying in like crowded airspace and a small like little piper for years by then, the idea of getting in a DC-10 mm. terrified him. And so he said that morning, um, he sat in Shell's office on the 10th floor um, of the, the offices of Playboy magazine. He talked to Judy, who signed a copy of her, her book for him. He said goodbye to Vicky, who had a one-year-old son that he used to ride the bus with together to work. Um, he stopped in to see Mary and wish her, you know, good luck on her trip. Uh, watched Shell and Judy go out the elevators and, you know, he said he watched them walking arm in arm, thinking how cool it was that they were still so in love and they were whispering and laughing like teenagers while they waited for the elevator. Um, and then he said their flight lasted 31 seconds and it crashed in an open field. Mm just missing a fuel tank farm in a trailer park. Oh, man. The plane rolled nearly inverted before it hit the ground. Everyone was killed. It was 273 oh people, making it the worst aviation disaster in American history even now. Hmm. Um, and he said he, this was wow. in Chicago. He lived about 20 minutes from the crash site and was there to report on it just after the fire was put out. Uh, was put out. They said the event launched him into, you know, really even more intense period of flying and writing about aviation. And he said, but I was always haunted by how close I came to making my life exactly match my father's. His father was shot down in World War II, but survived. Mm -hmm. He said, I'd always followed him, mm -hmm. followed his example, tried to be like him. I thought of myself as the hero's apprentice, you know, growing up under his father. He said, but later I began to see that I had it all wrong. He was no hero. He was just a survivor. And somehow I'd worked out my own survival and a long series of small acts and conditions and judgments leading up to the single moment, to the single word I spoke to Shell when he found me sitting on the couch with his wife and asked me if I didn't really want to come uh, with L.A. to them that, after, that afternoon. And he said my single answer was no. Mm -hmm. um, many stories have been written about what would happen, you know, if you could go back in, in time to change just one single little thing. But that basically, like, God, all the little things that would have changed, he would have he would have never written the book or had all the kids that he had after that, you mm -hmm. know, but it was just mm -hmm. he was lucky enough to have to write about airline safety mm. in the years yeah. leading up to that and lucky enough to realize that, wow, the DC-10 just has way too many problems. Mm. And then he got that, like, yeah. gut feeling, I can't, I can't get on this plane mm. and I got to trust my yeah. intuition. And then... Almost everyone that he worked with died in an accident mm. hours later. That's crazy. So it, it's just wow. Trust yeah. those intuitions because you never know where they're yeah. coming from. Mm. And it's okay if you're wrong. You know, it's like, hey, it's yeah. the kind of mistake you can survive and make. It's like, be wrong, be a little embarrassed. Mm -hmm. That's fine. But yeah. I, that, that story just blew me away because I knew of no other story of such a close call. Mm. 
um, where it just came down to the decision to pull out of a a ticket. Yeah. Plane ticket. Absolutely. That's so tragic. Do you, did you, have either of you ever watched the Final Destination film franchise? Mm -mm. No? Mm -mm. Okay. I I have not either, but I'm pretty confident the whole franchise is about this concept of, uh, obviously there's like paranormal aspects, but it's this concept of like, there's a group of friends they're all supposed to die in a plane crash, but one of them has a premonition mm. and is able to help get them to evade death. But then mm. death is upset about it. Mm. And it's like, you all were supposed to die. Yeah. I don't know oh, how wow. I missed you. Yeah. So then it just becomes this gruesome, gory film franchise of death, oh, like God. picking them off one by one. Wow. Um, to get his, his sure. number essentially. Maybe I should watch yeah. that now that we've done this episode. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Right, yeah, that's intriguing. Yeah. That idea that there's a, a a time and place in which you're yeah. you're supposed to punch your ticket out of this world. Yeah, I'm glad right. that's not the case, right. but it's a, a freaky idea nonetheless. <laughs> Is it not the case? Poison <laughs> <laughs> pal, that's for you to decide. This must be a Spooktober episode. We gotta entertain the scaries. <laughs> exactly. Huh. Okay, awesome. Is it? We can head into our antidotes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so. I will go for it. It's a very small thing, but I had to go into work in person for the very first time this past week. And it was a little bit on short notice. So my dad, he goes to the Bay every two weeks anyways for his work. So it just lined up just so where he was driving up this past Sunday. So I was like, I'll just hitch a ride with you. And we don't get a lot of just father-daughter time these days. So it was kind of nice. And little did I know how much my dad is a true crime person. He has been watching like forensic files religiously at night. So we just listened to true crime podcasts all eight hours of the drive (laughs) to the bay. And it was just a good time. We're just like bonding over some crazy stories, some missing persons cases and all the above. It was just a good time. We, We just chatted about everything and anything related to true crime. So that's that was so, a fun thing that I shared with my dad. <laughs> that's so awesome. You know I love that anytime Papa B is mentioned. Um, is this so true crime has been a fascination for him even before you started the podcast or were you his inspiration? <laughs> To be honest, I think I get my love of true crime from my parents because they gotcha. have always watched like mystery shows since mm-hmm. before I was born. Uh, so, you know, that PBS masterpiece theater. Mm-hmm. So yeah, uh, it's just like in our blood now. But he I've never known him to watch like straight true crime. Like mm. he's always has like this British village facade over it yeah where it's like kind of like playful but yeah so i didn't know he was like into like actual like true crime stories so we we just like indulged ourselves for eight hours and it was a good time that's really cool oh i love that yeah that's really fun and that makes the drive so much more or makes it faster and more like manageable yeah right on yeah um my antidote is that phil and i saw the new james bond film i forget what Mm. day that was on Mm -hmm. what was that Sunday. We saw it on a Sunday. Well, we saw it, and um, I was pretty pleased with it. I always have concerns that when a movie's super hyped up, that it's yeah. gonna be shat. And yeah, yeah. it wasn't. It wasn't totally complete shat. Like I really thoroughly enjoyed it. I don't think the plot point was too strong, but it's really, really, <laughs> <laughs> really, really cinematically pleasing. Yeah. Um. Fun True. fact, uh, for you, Harini, because you haven't seen it yet, right? No. no, I've seen it. Are you? Oh, what? Girl? Yeah, <laughs> okay. I, I, we took my parents out and we watched it together. Nice. Okay. 
So, yeah, like, the main villain had, like, poison is a theme in the mm-hmm. movie. Not a huge theme. Yeah. I had some critiques of that side of things. <laughs> but um, I That's thought that was fun. I, I did have, like, a <laughs> moment while we were watching, and I was like, oh, I didn't know it was going to be about poison. Like, oh, maybe I can yeah, talk about this later cool. on the podcast. Yeah, but yeah. Um, overall, uh, I think this is my antidote because I have not been to the theaters in a long time, mm-hmm. and I think this was a good movie to come back to the theaters yeah. for. Um, so that was really yes. nice. So thanks for the I movie the days. Yeah, yeah, it was fun. Yeah, sorry, I wasn't uh, ready for any other stories. Um, <laughs> just a quick antidote. Truthfully, I'm just glad that in both of your stories you were able to resume something that would be the old normal. Mm. Um, and seeing that, you know, working in the bar that I work at or playing in music venues, um, you know, the main band that I play in, Headphone, we had a, a show last month. And it was the first time I played original music in front of an actual mm. like a packed house full of people. Hell yeah. In, you know, it was over a year and a half. And it just felt good to see people out there. Because you kept hearing this phrase, like, new normal. And I'm like, um, nah, I want most of the old normal. <laughs> there are some new things that we'll adjust to, but not into this, like, reordering of society. Like, there's plenty that was right about mm-hmm. the old one. And a lot of that is when human beings get together. And the the yeah. magic that happens when we're all together in, in numbers is something that you can't replicate any other way. We've it's something we've got to find a way to preserve. <laughs> and for you to be able to get back to work and you know be around people and and you know for us to be able to get back to a movie theater and or play a concert yeah. or something like that, those are some of the things that make life worth you know worth living truly. Mm. So it was it was absolutely awesome. That's awesome. That's, that's really cool. That's probably the best antidote we've had on the pod <laughs> that they will string it all together yeah. in one theme really nice I well, love that really nice to hear okay awesome is- don't risk it for that near miss biscuit <laughs> there we go boom nice nice, nice. <laughs> for listening poison pals and thanks Phil for being on it was a pleasure to have you absolute pleasure to be here thank you alright bye poison pals <laughs> see ya see ya